So actually, truth be told, one of the one of the first thoughts I had with uh, with this article was just simply writing down all the different dunks that either David Bentley Hart or McClemon had done on each other, because I think I could actually compile quite an impressive list of just absolute savage takedowns. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't do that. But that is I think that is going to have to be a project one of these days, especially with just David Bentley Hart, just like compiling a list of him just flagrantly insulting people just going below the belt cruel awful insults that are just so hilarious to watch so uh david bentley hart obliterates daniel mcclyman (laughs) (laughs) with facts and logic david bentley hart uses facts and reason so much and proves universalism that all of humanity immediately transcends becoming one with god in the dialectic, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Except for McClemon. he's he goes straight to hell because he's been <laughs> insulted that hard. He's the uh, actually he's 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 just Satan. He's he's the wrench in the works. Um, yep. Yep. Cool. Um, all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I guess we'll just assume that that's the beginning. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of The Problem with Reading. Uh, uh, my name is Brevin. And my name is Steven. And uh, we're we're here again two weeks later, probably a, a little bit more by the time I get this posted. Um, hanging We've out. We've missed you. We have. We have missed you. Um, and there might even be cool things in the works. Maybe not. You'll never know. Or maybe you will. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Steven, what are, you, what are you drinking right now? I am drinking a bit of English breakfast tea. Uh, that, there's nothing really special to it. It's kind of gotten lukewarm at this point, but uh, I'm drinking it nonetheless. Uh, as for myself, I'm having a small spot of red wine. Um, it, it had a cool label, but I got it like 20 minutes ago, and I don't remember what the label is. It's all the way around the corner. I can't be bothered to find out. Um, it's fine. You know, if Weird. I'm being completely honest, that's how I choose all of my wines is either are they are they like stupid cheap like is it a two or three dollar bottle of wine or like box wine have a really cool label yes like box wine yes. or trader joe's wine yes trader joe's wine um no but uh the main purpose of the wine is not to enjoy it for any like normal wine qualities but just to turn it into mold wine um later so nice yep yep that is the best way to do wine here in these winter months any other intro stuff steven any fun things going on? Any slapdashery or who who hattery, as it were? Um, well, I did have the distinct pleasure of listening to some Fox News uh, over Thanksgiving break, and uh, not so much slapdashery as uh, just sadness, just a, a lot of sadness of uh, watching a bunch of news anchors who would probably be better off as slapdashery comedians. But, okay. Uh, yeah, that's about that's about all I've got in the way of comedy, at least at, at the moment. I'm trying to think if I've done anything, if I've heard heard anything comic. Uh, I don't think so, except for one coworker who makes me want to laugh, cry, tear out hair, etc. Um, but I'll I'll get to that when I get to that. Um, but speaking of where we're getting to, uh, somebody first name McClymouth, McLeod, whatever his name is, doesn't think we're all going to heaven, and he's not holding back any punches. Uh, Steven, your article this week. He is not, although his first name I should know is Michael, and his last name is McClemmond. Uh, but 
so, so this is what the second or third time I've brought up uh, universalism and I confess I've just taken quite the pleasure in witnessing the exchanges going back and forth between universalists and non-universalists, primarily David Bentley Hart and other theologians uh, just on this whole topic. Um, the, the reasoning is probably twofold. First, David Bentley Hart is a jerk, but he's a hilarious jerk. Dude knows how to insult, and it's honestly so very funny to see him rip into somebody he clearly disagrees with. But second, I, I'm very intrigued by how fiercely people fight against the idea of universalism going so far to call it heretical, Gnostic, and more recently, the, quote, opiate of the theologians. Uh, this catchy title is the title of the most recent volley of anti-DBH attacks by Michael McClemmond, uh, who is a professor a professor of American uh, American Christianity, um, or American Christian, ha- of history of Christianity in America. There we go. Took a while. Um, uh, and he recently wrote a, I believe, 1200 page volume uh calling called the devil's redemption uh and he is probably still reeling from dbh's review of that book but more on that later mcclement takes heart universalism and a number of other things to task on what he sees to be quite some serious issues his primary attack is twofold first they're against church tradition and second they're clearly against biblical teachings uh, quite frankly, his opening volley is very weak. Uh, he lists a few theologians who, though certainly notable, are hardly exhaustive. Uh, quote, uh, David Bentley Hart has, uh, you know, said universalism is good, non-universalism is bad, and he responds, quote, uh, so much for Augustine, Chrysostom, John of Damascus, Aquinas, Pascal, Newman, Chesterton, C.S. Lewis, and Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. not to mention innumerable canonized saints of the church, the, major- the great majority of ancient Greek, Latin, Coptic, and Syriac writers, such as- and such Protestant luminaries as Luther, a name I can't pronounce, Husser, Calvin, Hooker, and Edwards. Um, I-, I will note that it is a very easy thing to kind of hand wave and say the innumerable canonized saints of the church uh, and the great majority of ancient Greek, Latin, Coptic, and Syriac writers, but I do find it somewhat suspicious that he doesn't list any of them. Uh, he quickly concludes that Hart, quote, finds the 2,000-year Christian tradition not just unbelievable, but repugnant and inhuman, uh, which I think Hart is not arguing that. Hart is rather arguing that the majority of Christian tradition it was actually universal stuff until around the 700s, but more on that later. Uh, he then makes a few loose accusations uh, of universalists ignoring the Old Testament and Revelation, quote, adopting a biblical canon within the canon, end quote, any Pauline verses, the universalist rallies to their aid. He dispenses with the single statement from N.T. Wright, quote, perhaps the foremost Pauline uh, scholar alive today, N.T. Wright, has said that the Pauline texts do not support universalism, end quote, which, to be fair, Wright is certainly not a lightweight, but this is hardly a rigorous ta- uh, attack. He is correct when he says that uh, universalists apply, quote, universalists apply microscopic analysis to individual verses or even single words, uh, while they often miss the larger themes woven throughout the whole of the Bible, end quote. That is one issue I took with Hart's book. However, one can make a similar similar accusation that non-universalists write off universalist verses and read into other verses. Hart has one five-page long passage listing off verses which support universalism, uh, but also brings up the important point that biblical evidence isn't the only evidence, which it seems that McClellan would probably do well to recognize and actually address. Uh, McClellan has a few other comments which really aren't worth going out over. Uh, my main interest is in his conclusion of universalism, quote, that most universalist authors today are uh, concerned to proclaim that everyone gets into heaven, but not to actually describe heaven. Heaven means enjoyment and everyone must have a share, end quote. 
uh, quote, for universalists, the central focus is not the enjoyment of God, but the fact of final human solidarity, end quote. I mean, that's just simply not true. Uh, it is entirely about the enjoyment of God, but what is the enjoyment of God if not solidarity with God? This objection just is painfully flat, and it has this strange sense of it being impossible to be universalist and have heaven as God-oriented. What, all being saved somehow prevents them from worshiping God or some such analog? Has he actually read universalist other than his weird neighbor with the suspicious but now entirely legal odor in his house? Uh, he also claims... Quote, the kingdom of God, as biblical scholars say, is already but not yet. Yet, in important respects, the universalist kingdom is realized here and now. End quote. Again, this is just false. For example, he readily cites Rob Bell as making heaven on earth now, but that's not at all what Bell claimed. He claimed that our salvation and our damnation begins now, that people bring their own hell upon earth just like they bring their own heaven. How can one go from that to making the claim that heaven is here now? That, like, that is entirely fitting within the almost realized not yet that is entirely that 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 centralized thesis uh he goes on so could i but i'll confine my criticism to one last point in this article quote when david bentley hart and robin perry tell how they became convinced universalists moral repugnance and aesthetic distaste bubble below the surface hell is horrible and ugly and they don't believe it end quote and if one's vision of God is ultimate beauty, it is actually entirely follows that the ultimately beautiful cannot cannot countenance the ultimate ugliness and ultimate good cannot countenance ultimate evil. Uh, but he does actually finish up strongly. Uh, finally, quote, if someone were to ask me why I embrace a particular view of salvation and a dualistic eschatology rather than a religion of solidarity, my answer must not all, must be not only because this is what the Bible teaches and because uh, church teaching confirms it but also because I have eyes to see. This is the world I live in. This is what I see happening every day. This is what I read in the news. It is also what I am told by the church. Jesus was crucified. Perfect love, uh, love appeared in history and observed what man did in response, end quote. Spot on. And I think that is probably my only issue with universalism, which I believe I brought up in my previous discussion of universalism a la David Bentley Hart. What if people genuinely refuse, sal refuse salvation and continue to refuse it? This is something that we observe in real life in the here and now which the here and now is kind of one of the stronger maybe not the stronger argu arguments but one of the stronger claims that a lot of universalists make is that our salvation starts now but if our salvation starts now indeed also our damnation starts as well and this is something that we can just empirically reserve a lot of people seem to get worse and not better mcclimmon would have certainly been better off running with this stronger point and i wish he had however for the record, even this point can falter. Can one really refuse the offer of salvation for an eternity with infinite goodness and love constantly and endlessly offered? Perhaps he has an answer to this, but alas, he saved this one good critique for the last paragraph. And I am I am pretty frustrated over the fact that like he kind of ramps up right when he thinks he's ramping down. Um so I mean I would recommend him I would recommend this article. I think it it, it does provide an interesting approach to David Bentley Hart, but I think he's just in my opinion, he's just out of his, out of his depths with this one. So interestingly enough, I had clipped uh, several of the same things that you did. However, to say that, damn, what a what an awesome dunk! So it appears we are at um, Ooh, we are at an impasse. We are not necessarily an impasse, but uh, at the very least, um, at at the very least, loggerheads, um, shall we say? Yeah. So I I, I think we are. Uh, in many ways, at 
at loggerheads. And I think there's a few levels of analysis, um, just sort of as a framing mechanism that may have come up in, in previous discussions of this. There are, at, there are at least two levels to this whole universalist discussion, universalism discussion. And I think probably a bigger portion of it than not, which I think has been revealed by the, incredi- the incredibly rhetoric-heavy back and forth between the two camps over various kinds. I mean, Bentley Hart had a screed not that long ago. This, by you know your analysis, is something of a similar um, point. There's a lot of emotions running extremely high for something, uh, by definition, very uh, eschatological. So uh, I enjoyed this article quite a bit. Uh, first, I would say because it dunked on the Enneagram, which I am... Well, it didn't exactly dunk on the Enneagram, but it dunked on the guy who did the Enneagram, which I am a fan of. Yes, All personality fate. tests should have ended with Walker Percy. 100%. That was the only one that we needed. We're lost in the mm-hmm. cosmos. We don't need to know more than that. Um, or do we? Da, 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 da. Okay. Uh, so, According to Roar, <laughs> we do, but Roar is wrong. Just factually Roar, wrong. Roar is, Roar is factually wrong and should double-check the podcast he appears on. But that's something for a different day. Um, <laughs> so, so that to say, because I think this operates on two levels. The first level is actual is the actual biblical analysis. The second is more the cultural milieu level, which is sort of just revealing that all of the arguments are almost sophomoric. Like, there is a degree to which these people are analyzing texts. However, there is a good amount of evidence with which to constitute a defensible belief either way. Like, that that just seems to be the case. This seems to be a perennial issue in many ways, at least in, in this current time. I don't think anyone... Any single person has, you know, conclusively come in and just dunked on everyone and said, "Okay, actually, no, you're all wrong. This is the exact s- specific thing, and, and and I'm the final right person on this." Yeah. Actually, I'll I'll stop you there just to say I completely agree with you, and that was one of my biggest frustrations with um, Hart's book was it seemed that he set up a lot of straw men, and that uh-huh. he very rarely would kind of take the strongest argument against, like he wouldn't. He wouldn't go against a, a more nuanced uh, kind of di- a dichotomy view. He would he would only go up against the the weakest, which I will agree was certainly a frustration on on my point as well, or on from my side as well. Fair. So because of that, my proposal is that the argument really isn't about the specifics of the case at all. Like uh, Hart's construction of a of his sort of, you know, a priori reasoning that gets him to the conclusion that hell cannot exist because of the nature of God. That's not really what this is about. This is about what this author, I think, is better at pointing at, which is that it is almost a cultural milieu. You you read the passage about universalists think hell is ugly and terrible, therefore it must not exist. And I think that is actually, in at least some part, the level of analysis that people start from. And then from that point, do we get to the to the very specific uh, you know, exegesis in which we're trying to make the case for our dispositional um, starting point or the point that we've been that we've been driven to. And some of the passages that you highlighted, um, one of which you read the first sentence of, but not the second, which I think is important. Uh, you read uh, for a uh, quote for universalists, the central focus is not the enjoyment of God, but the fact of final human solidarity. The next sentence, the universalist heaven seems to me like a concert to which everyone gets a free ticket, although no one is quite sure who will be playing the music, end quote. 
and then a later quote that is that puts this in context perhaps universalists so seldom speak of the heavenly enjoyment of god because the topic raises uncomfortable questions about the earthly process of preparation for heaven end quote and also purgatory um depending on where you're coming from and i think the 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 game is was sort of given away if at least from my perspective in your talking about the beautiful and how these authors that are um, writing about God are the primary lens is from beauty. And there's this marring thing, the problem of sin, the problem of, of hell and the possibility that people could reject God, even in the very end is, is an ugly thing that exists and can't be countenanced to exist. But I don't think that's a, necessarily a question of God. I think that's a question of the person who is creating it because it does create uncomfortable questions about earth. If, if heaven isn't a given, then we still have to figure some stuff out. And that's what I think uh, McClemond, I cannot remember his name for the life of me. Michael McClemond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. McClemond is getting at when he's talking about the, um, the universalists, uh, if not their intent, but what practically happens and what I would say is probably their subliminal intent to not to just universalize heaven, but also to immanentize heaven that is manifested on earth so that there's just not work to do really then one one final quote and then i'll shut up um uh, he also says uh quote universalists are less concerned with all men being united to god than with all men being united to each other god is joined to man on human terms heaven is where people go to meet one another rather than meet their maker or end quote there and i think that that is in many parts, the the key issue. Almost maybe empathy run amok, um, not liking the idea that humans can become de- more demonic um, and can choose to and, and can choose to stay that way. There was a, a passage in, in the article also where he talks about, you know, we know that humans can reject God even when they stand before him because they killed Jesus. And that might be a straw man. I, I don't necessarily want to hang my hat on that, but I think that's a striking image that we do have to remember that the you know God incarnate humans can get to the point where they are willing to kill him, and you know can repent of that, but they don't necessarily repent of that. It I don't think it follows that 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 all who who choose to go down that path must repent of it when they've you know had one chance to not do the thing in, in the first place. I, I, I think to your to your last point, I have three thoughts around that. The first, and I'll, I think I'll go in kind of order of what I think sh- from weaker to stronger. Um, the the first, yes, people certainly did get to the point where they crucified love incarnate, but love incarnate also said specifically of those who crucified him, Father, forgive them; they know not what they do. And so that that seems to be a strong argument for the desire for even those who crucified um, God Himself to be forgiven and to be ultimately reconciled. Um, yes, sure. My my second point, as far as imminence is concerned, I guess I just don't see that as a problem at all. Um, I I think of uh, Father Zazima in the Brothers Karamazov, whose entire project was if we would but realize that we are all beholden to each other, paradise would come to Earth immediately. And I, I think there's nothing wrong with that. That strikes me as a perfectly Christian message to, to say, a perfectly lowercase o orthodox message to say that, indeed, we are beholden to each other. We, we do have 
a commitment both to this earth and to the both to this world and to the world to come that i i, I guess i i don't see that as really an issue in fact i kind of see it almost as an issue if you don't think that that it isn't our duty to bring about as close to paradise as we can on earth while acknowledging that it's not here yet that the kingdom of god is among you but it hasn't it hasn't reached its fulfillment yet and then oh uh, sorry oh no uh, so so just to the uh it, I'll, I'll just answer this so, so that hopefully I, I don't i don't get too lost and, and and then we'll go to your strongest yeah yeah certainly um um, so to the to the father, forgive them for for they they do not know what they do. I mean, part of the human condition. So like from a from a first standpoint, yes, you're right. God is or Jesus uh, is is asking for their forgiveness, and um, I don't you know contest any of that. That's all very true. I'm not saying that they can't be forgiven, but I'm saying that humans are capable of rejecting love in incarnate. Um, and the second thing with that is. Um, or the the phrasing is you know almost a the possibility of it not happening is implicit in it, but that's sort of a, a technical thing. And then the third thing, which is also technical, is that um, uh, you know can humans really under can they ever understand God? Answer no. So of course you can't understand what you're doing, even if you make the wrong choice. Um, to the uh, Father Zosima in Brothers Karamazov and the question of making heaven on earth, I I, I think our ships are are uh, sailing past each other here a bit i'm i am certainly not saying that we should be making every effort to realize that we are beholden to one another to as c.s lewis would say make ourselves more angelic every day i don't think that's what anyone on the you know let centers burn side uh is is saying what i do think they are saying is that the universalists tend to jump the gun and proclaim the sort of to commute upon a fallen world the the possibility of um full realization of the unity that humans will have with each other in heaven when they have been properly oriented towards god and when they have been properly oriented towards each other and the emphasis goes away from in instead of developing and preparing it goes to realizing as if there's there's nothing new to be created no dross to be burned away there is merely the i don't know that you know the mystic chakras to be exchanged well i i think so heart is a from what i understand from what i've read in the book and seen in his lectures i'm fairly confident that he is a purgatorial universalist sorry so, i should make the distinction that heart as far as i can tell falls in a different category from most so that might be part of the problem is that yeah, sorry, sorry. As far as I can tell, Hart is is trying to be as as absolutely orthodox as possible and bring or make the best case for for universalism within the orthodox tradition. Whereas other people like Rob Bell are just like meh and just are universalist firsts and everything else comes second. So sorry, that is one distinction that I failed to make. Right, and that, that that's definitely fair, and that's a good that's good nuance. Uh, although Bell wasn't nearly as controversial as as people people claim he was. Although I, I we can we can bracket that he definitely is not the the prime universalist. He's not the the strongest one. I would I would bring to the front. I I guess I would just like to footnote that he wasn't as bad as people think he was. But he yeah he's definitely not the the universalist we should all look up to. Um, 
and I, I think that may be one of my biggest issues with McClemmond. And to be fair, it's an issue I have with with Hart as well. Is that McClemmond? It, it seemingly just, he he kind of treats universalism as kind of these kind of you know hippie guys laying laying back on a beanbag chair, smoking some weed, and saying like, "Hi, hey, man, it's it's all good." Like that that's that's not the sh- I mean, that's certainly a form of universalism, but that strikes me as kind of the equivalent of saying that all postmodernism is saying like, well, that's just your opinion, man. Or <laughs> like, it's kind of that straw man of, uh, of relativism that kind of those cheesy, like evangelical books will tell you that that's all postmodernism is. And it's like, that is, that's not a good take on what postmodernism is. And in the same way, this is kind of a, like you're, you're presenting a straw man of universalism and, that, and it, it just doesn't, I think that it, again, that's just my biggest issue with, uh, with McClellan, though I will hasten to say Dave Bentley Hart seemed to say, think that anyone who believes in hell has to believe in this like very medieval torture chamber, flaming hot pitchforks, you know, you're being stabbed by devils all the time. Like, it's like, come on, Hart. Like, have you, have you heard of C.S. Lewis? Have you read great divorce or problem of pain where Lewis presents a very, compelling case for hell in that it is it is the logical conclusion of somebody who refuses salvation who continually mm-hmm. and i think there's something to be said for that which mcclemond also seemingly agrees with i i was actually really surprised that mcclemond agreed with lewis because lewis is definitely closer to a universalist than to a traditional infernalist although he certainly is not a universalist. So what I think we can definitely both agree on is that this whole discussion is sabotaged by the key participants. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> in, in, in that, like I said, the argument is, is happening on the level of the milieu first and then actual, like, you know, exegesis and whatever second. It seems unfortunate that I don't know if there's a way out of it. If It seems we've a hole has been dug that it's going to take a few years of excavation before anyone can, you know, sort of dig us back to the surface. Um, but yes, I, I, I think we definitely both agree on, on that point. Yeah, absolutely. It seems that in this case, the problem of reading for once isn't that people know how to read, is that people are, or that the people that should know how to read don't read um, or don't read properly. Yes. Uh, it's, it's an unfortunate situation. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll close up with uh, there's, a, there's one particular, one particularly good uh, quote uh, that Hart has in his book. Unfortunately, I couldn't find that quote, but I found one that's almost as good. And this is, this is one where actually I always really there, there's a great scene in The Great Divorce where Lewis is talking to, um, oh shoot, uh, George McDonald. Uh, he's talking to George McDonald and kind of asking why the blessed are not worried about the damned, why they aren't troubled by the damned. And there is a pretty good treatment of it. I think Lewis does a really good job at saying that there is something quite infernal about hell having the eternal power to blackmail heaven. Um, and that that is not that is not pity. That is pity going and transforming into something with fangs. And I think that is a very good response. However, it still always left me troubled. And I think Hart does do a pretty good job kind of critiquing this idea that uh, I will add as my kind of strongest point against um, that. Uh, It's a bit of a longer one, but I think it's worth reading. Uh, Quote, We cannot choose to cease to care for any soul without thereby choosing to cease to care for every soul to which that particular soul is attached by bonds of love or loyalty. And for every other soul attached to each of these, and if need be, for every soul that has ever been. If that is what it takes to be perfectly, blissfully indifferent to the damned. Or, sorry. If that... Well, yeah, sorry. My emphasis was a little weird there, but... 
No soul who no soul is who or what it is in isolation. And no soul suffering can be ignored without the sufferings of a potentially limitless number of other souls being ignored as well. And so it seems, if we allow the possibility that even so much as a single soul might slip away unmourned into everlasting misery, the ethos of heaven turns out to be, quote, every soul for itself, end quote, which is also, curiously enough, precisely the ethos of hell. Um, which I I found kind of, he, he touches on that a few times. And I really wish I was able to find that that other quote that does have this very good point in that we kind of assume that if for for the blessed to truly be indifferent to to those in hell is a good thing but that does that does prove to be very a very solipsistic thing if anything that all that matters when you're in heaven is yourself and god and none of god's other creations which again that does seem to be a very collapse in on yourself which does have this very hellish feel although again i think there are there are probably responses that could be leveled against that, but I think that is a very strong point in that for you to truly be uncaring towards other souls made in God God's image strikes me as a, a very kind of hellish notion. Was that so good? I just destroyed infernalism. As I was saying, uh, my my mic was off accidentally, um, but I actually had three very thought out uh, three sub points each responses that you didn't get to hear. Ah, oh, and I'm just ah, oh, so goddamn tired. But they eviscerated your. Your, your they, do you have phone. like a whole three-point sermon as well? Yeah, three-point sermon. I, I even had a little ditty, a, a ballad, also a rap. Um, but you missed it all because my mic was off for five <sighs> seconds. It all. The world oh. will never know. The world will never know. We'll just have to leave it to another uh, episode slash we'll just wait for the next time that Hart, like, you know, vomits all over, I don't know, Crisis Magazine or something. I, 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 I'm I sure it won't take long. It won't take long. Um, but speaking of uh, not taking long, uh, damn it, I don't have the transition here. But anyway, my article... That was a rough transition, man. No, that was, uh, well, speaking of rough, how would you like to, uh, to work at Vice and then go to jail for selling drugs? Uh, because that's what my article's about. It's from The Ringer, um, and the title is, Worked at Vice and Went to Jail, How a Bunch of Canadian Hipsters Wound Up Smuggling Cocaine and Getting Caught. Um, and I will say, this is a much more newsy article. Uh, than we normally have here on this esteemed program. Um, but I have one or two thoughts, and then I'm sure Stephen has one or two thoughts, and then we want to leave early because of uh, uh, reasons. Anyway, uh, so let's just uh, start start at, at the top. Let's just dive right in, you know what I'm saying? Let's just dive right in. Yeah. Um, so, so there's a guy. Uh, he goes by Slava P. Uh, he's a he's a, he's a pretty cool dude. He uh, works for Vice Media. He, ha- he hangs out with the rappers. He's all about that, about that nightlife. Word. And he loved podcasts, much like us. So this is a cautionary tale, actually. More... We were actually one of his favorite podcasts, incidentally. Yeah, we were. Well, he was our, our one listener, and then now he's going to prison. So now we only have one again. Um, Be warned. It is a true shame. But anyway, uh, he always said that one of his greatest interests would be to interview criminals, because that would be interesting. And uh, now, quote, Slava P will have more time to interview criminals than most. He has pleaded guilty to conspiracy to import commercial quantities of cocaine and, and is on house arrest at his mom's Brampton house a half-hour commute from Toronto. He's waiting to hear how long he will spend in prison. The federal prosecutor has requested a 12-year sentence, while Slava's lawyer has argued for a sentence closer to six to eight. 
Whatever happens, Slava suspects this whole incident will be his legacy. He says, It's better to live infamously than not, I, I guess, he told me in September, sitting on his mother's patio in sweatpants and sneakers. Slava admits that he helped organize a botched December 2015 drug trafficking attempt in which four young Canadians and one young American were arrested at the airport in Sydney, Australia, while carrying around 40 kilograms of cocaine wrapped into bricks and hidden in the lining of their luggage. The street value of the drugs in all the luggage between them was an estimated 22 million Australian dollars or 15 million U.S. dollars, end quote. Uh, and the article goes on to explain how this guy who worked for Vice, a little bit creepy, you know, doing the blog stuff, doing the podcast stuff, hanging out with all the people, and he starts to meet sort of the wrong people. And, uh, you know, he wants to write a story about drug smuggling and crime. Then he actually, like, meets some people who do, who do drug smuggling and crime. And he's like, hey, that sounds pretty cool. And, you know, he, he drew in people from Vice Media uh, with him, like some interns and stuff. And it all culminated in a, a like, this attempt to smuggle drugs into Australia, who he, who he said where the authorities are all just complete idiots. And, of course, they got caught within, like, 10 seconds of landing. So, um, you know, whatever. It's hilarious because it goes right along with the view of Vice as, you know, one of these sort of edgy new media platforms um, to have one of its big players in in canada um he didn't work there at the time when this all went down uh i don't believe but or if wait no maybe he did i don't remember but anyway the 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 point is it it seems sort of deliciously appropriate but some things about the article um uh stuck out at me such as the people that he 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 drew in after him many sort of young ambitious people that that worked advice um but the most interesting thing was this man who who they talk about as trey who they don't know his real name necessarily um, but sort of a higher level very smooth criminal fellow uh quote slava repeatedly compared him to nate in the television show euphoria a hulking waspy monster trey's rap sheet was terrifying and tantalizing and slava still speaks about him with a mixture of of repulsion and reverence i like evil people he shrugged end quote currently i'm Finishing up a second run of Walker Percy's excellent book, Lost in the Cosmos, we've probably referenced it at least twice already. And there's several passages that speak to sort of our, in in particular, our modern culture's obsession with violence. And we've talked about it when we talked about the Joker and the sort of, you know, large media draw and drive towards stories about serial killers and true crime and you know, just criminals in general. I mean, you know, as, as we speak, the big Netflix movie that came out over Thanksgiving was uh, was The Irishman. Their last big movie was about, um, was it Charles Manson, right? Yeah, Charles. Sounds right. Yeah, Charles Manson um, with the uh, guy from High School Musical and all that. Anyway, a few passages from Percy just came to mind, which is how does a modern self who barely if at all, knows anything about itself in this most erotic of ages where everything is at our disposal, everything is there, everything is being handed to us and foisted upon us on every side. How does it deal with disappointment of everything? The, the, the disappointment of work, the disappointment of the home, the disappointment of politics, of, of everything, really. There was a quote about uh, sports and, and TV that I think sort of gets to the heart of this, and that is a quote, Four people used to go bowling, but 100 million watch the Super Bowl. Football, where men try to hit and hurt, has replaced baseball as the national game. It is 
as if the demotion from participant to spectatorship and from live spectatorship to TV spectatorship has to be compensated by upping the ante in violence. The passivity of TV and film watching contrasts with the violence with, with which the watcher identifies. And I think there's some tie-in with David Foster Wallace's essay, Plurib- Pluribus Unum. No, E Pluribus Unum, so it's easy to around. It's mm-hmm. E yep, that's the one. Plura Unum, or Unimus, whatever. Point I'm is, pulling it up right now, just a sec. Anyway, I'm sure Stephen will have something more to say about that. But just someone who is ostensibly living, who is ostensibly living the life that they want to lead. It's the ideal thing. They get to hang out with people that they like. They get to do the things that they like. They work at an edgy new media company. But it's disappointing. And the line, I like evil people. And this draw towards violence and destruction and, you know, sort of wanton disregard of fellow humans that seems to be, you know, not necessarily more or more, more, not necessarily more prevalent, but prevalent in new ways and prevalent despite the assurances that it was going to go away. And that's what this article brought up in my mind. Um, uh, Stephen takes better notes than me. So anyway, that's, that's what I got. <laughs> uh it's uh for the record it's uh e unibus plurum uh which i actually looked up what that is supposed to mean and i can't find the translation so unfortunately well, steven what is on every coin uh e pluribus unum yes out of ma- oh out of many one out of one many exactly Aha! There we go. Yeah, I, I, I really like this. I actually, I found a I found a quote in uh, the opening paragraph. Uh, I think that you mentioned. Oh, no, not the opening paragraph. But you, you mentioned the quote. It's better to live infamously than not. I guess I would contend that uh, this guy needs to read Boethius, who uh, clearly says <laughs> that that's not the case. Uh, that your fame is but a second death, and uh, he needs to remember that. But. I, I am so very glad that you made, mentioned David Foster Wallace. But actually, if uh, if at all possible, I will hold off. I have been reading um, e unibus uh, e unibus plurum. Sorry, Latin is uh, not my best language. No, uh, you really have to look at it to say it right because because all, all your instincts say to say something else. Exactly. Yeah, uh, you're you're absolutely right. So I I have actually been reading that. I'm only about three quarters of the way through it, though. Uh, Dave Foster Wallace is as always a delight to read, but quite the dense read. So I will hold off on most of my comments. However, I I will say that he he comes at it from a bit of a different perspective, in that he he finds TV watching as terribly lonely, um, and that people get sucked into it and get su- sucked into this very vicious cycle of loneliness bringing you to the TV, which inspires your loneliness, which brings you to the TV, and so on and so forth. And then he goes on to the whole thing about irony, which you can rest assured I will go into far too much. It is an intriguing idea, the the re-entry via violence, the the idea that once you have everything, you need to you need to do something, and that violence is oddly enough one of the answers to that. And I'm sure Percy well, I'm actually not sure what Percy would say to a, a lot of kind of the violence that our culture has recently experienced, both with the uh, sad mass su- shootings, but also with media's seemingly unstoppable increase of violence in uh, the media. And right now I'm just sounding like, uh, you know, one of my parents or grandparents. But there is something oddly troubling about this increasingly die or this this increasingly uh kind of thirst for violence for destruction for undoing uh kind of 
we've we figured everything out. We've gotten the things that our ancestors would have never even dreamed of in their wildest dreams. And yet we see it seems so desperate to kind of almost maybe on, on an unconscious level undo it all. And there is something very troubling. Yeah, well, uh, I, I, I don't have much to add except for it's a funny story. And it's given that the um, guy who got caught and obviously did all those things uh, works for Vice. Um, Vice is bad in all senses of the world. Word. Indeed. Also, I would like to say this guy got ripped off. He was offered 10 grand for carrying 39.76 kilograms. I mean, I don't know the muling business. I'm not an expert or what you'd call even remotely familiar with that, but that just strikes me as remarkably disproportional to what he should have gotten. That's 15.4 million US dollars, no, 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 according no. to the article. No, he was offered 10 grand? That's what he was paying people. Oh, okay. Yes, he, he, he was organizing the, the trip. I see. Okay. I was going to say, man, he needs to, he needs to have a little bit more self-respect, you know? <laughs> he, needs to, he needs to realize that he is worth more than that for his muling business. <laughs> you are the strangest creature in, in the universe, the only conscious one that we know of, and you're going to carry $20 million <laughs> worth of cocaine for $10,000? I don't think so. <laughs> the strangest being in the universe, a ghost with cocaine. <laughs> ghost with cocaine, yes. And you thought it couldn't get any worse. Um, that, that passage does talk also about drugs and how they're the best of re-entry vehicles, but that's neither here nor there. Oh, I forgot uh, about that. Oh, we should have integrated that. Dang it, I would have read that passage again if I had thought of that. Yeah, well, um, you know, you know, sometimes you you just miss out on things, and you, there's just no getting it back, and that gives you nostalgia and sentiment, therefore cruelty and anger. Uh, speaking of anger, Stephen, do you have a rant for us? Walker Percy does go on cruelty, anger, and nostalgia. He goes on over on it all. Uh, I suppose I do have a rant. So while I was home for Thanksgiving, and it was a lovely stay, I absolutely loved seeing uh, my my parents, my grandparents. It was wonderful, but. I had the distinct pleasure of watching our finest news organization, Fox News. And one might think that I'm about to launch into a whole rant of how Fox News is nothing but propaganda and et cetera, et cetera. I would never do any such thing. I mean, those things are all entirely true. But I, I, my main thing that I'm upset with is that they, they made this accusation that CNN is enacting a, quote, cult smear. And they did not go on a investigative discovery of how there's a small sect of yellow robed individuals that are summoning Haster in a, in a horrible, insane ritual involving a Necronomicon and ancient old ones. And it, it upset me immensely that they would, they would besmear the name of the ancient elder gods in such a horrible way as to uh, call, you know, this cult smear anything than a summoning of Lovecraft. That's that. That's about all I got. Uh, you know, other than that, it was it was pretty good. Thanksgiving was great. I had a lot of turkey, but um, you know, there was no king in yellow that was associated with uh, a cult. No Cthulhu rising from the depths from where he sleeps uh, in his dread city of Raleigh. No Azathoth, the idiot mad god. Uh, no Nyarlathotep, the the Lovecraftian trickster deity. Nothing. It was awful. Yogg-Sothoth, the gate and the key. They didn't have anything. Well, do you know what I have to say to all that? What do you have to say to all that? Cthulhu, Ryla, Wagner, Nagel, Fatagan. So. Well said. Well said. And also with your spirit. <laughs> in his house, Ryla. Er, in his house at Ryla, dead Cthulhu waits dreaming. And also mm -hmm. with your spirit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
before my rant, I'm actually having a little bit of deja vu because I think I may have ranted about this before, like a year ago, but I don't actually know. This means it's that rant worthy. It's that rant worthy. The problem is still not resolved. Um, and that rant is about dryness. Yeah, the problem of reading is never resolved. But And that is about dryness in the workplace. So normal humans are meant to live in humidity levels of around 20 to 40. 20 is kind of low. 40, you know, you start getting a little bit sweaty if you go higher than that. But that's about where humans are meant to live. Like that is where our skins aren't bleeding moisture, where our respiratory systems are, you know, pleasantly uh, uh, lubricated, blah, 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 blah. Um, in my office, uh, in Ceteris uh, 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 Peribus, we get about 5%, maybe 10 humidity, which essentially means we have the water content in the air of a desert. And we have a, uh, a humidifier running constantly. We have these water beads that you fill up with water, and then they release water back into the air. And we barely manage to boost it up to 15 after a full day of like essentially keeping the door closed. And I can tell that it's just leaching the moisture and life force right out of my body. And it's painful. Uh, I hate it. Uh, chapstick doesn't work. I will be a corpse soon. I'm basically just going to be like the mummy um, with just, you know, a slightly better chance of launching a mo a monster universe than the one that Tom Cruise tried to start up. And yeah, uh, so uh, I, I, I am calling for in, in my rant that every employee uh, in at the place where I work should be awarded a personal humidifier to uh, make it so that they do not die because I'm dying and I don't like it. It's not fun. I mean, we're all dying in the scheme of things. Shut up. <laughs> that does sound particularly <laughs> awful. Although, Tom Cruise started a monster university. Is that called Scientology? Uh, that's funny. No. Uh, yes, it is. But um, no, uh, monster universe. Uh, they were trying to do like the mummy and a couple other things and combine them all into like an expanded universe like the Marvel. Uh, um, it didn't go anywhere. It didn't work. No one wanted to see it. Darndest. Which is unfortunate because, I mean... E e Egypt or Egyptology, like ancient pharaohs, mummies, pyramids, that is so ripe for the horror genre. It really is a pity that they kind of botched it. Like, I feel like it was ripe for the horror genre. I feel like it's definitely played out. Like, I think if you need any evidence of that, the fact that both Transformers and uh, X-Men used like pyramids and, and Egypt uh, stuff as like their central things is like... It's just aliens every time. I, like uh, the History Channel, honestly, killed any possibility that Egypt could be used for anything good. Yeah, um, you know, you're 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 right with that. It's it, it's unfortunate. I mean, the original Mummy and the Mummy Returns were arguably decent for their time. They didn't age well for sure. I mean, watching them now is just more cringeworthy than anything. But they were fun movies, and they kind of had a nice little sub horror genre. It is kind of a a pity that we didn't get to kind of see a a more well done version of those, and then. History Channel came around and ensured that wasn't going to happen because it's ancient aliens. Thanks, guys. Yep. And you know, what really happened is that our, as our sense of mythology has been killed by scientism, we are left, you know, empty in a world in which we don't know what monsters look like, so we can only look for the worst examples, which are ourselves, and then unconsciously begin to emulate them. Hmm. One can only look so far into the void before the void looks back. Isn't that a Justin Bieber line? That is a Nietzsche... The, uh, the OG incel uh, that is, that is uh, for everyone here at the problem with reading podcast uh, I'm Brevin 
And I'm Steven. And uh, we'll see you next time. We'll 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 try harder. We we will. We, we can do better, and we will. But up 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 uh, I guess. Well done. <laughs> that was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we yeah, that was a rougher one we did we did we can if if when you're editing you're just like oh yeah we need to redo part of that we can totally do that sounds good no man i i'm sorry i have to, i don't know i have no energy i guess it's, it's two two parties in a reading group was just a little bit too much to try and all yeah. pack into one day yeah, that's definitely fair we we also probably i had i known that you were that busy i was also pretty busy this uh this evening there was a lot of stuff at work and and whatnot so i we probably should have just called it but we got it done so funny we sabotaged each other mm, like, oh i'm sure brevin will carry it i'm sure he's ready oh i'm sure steven will carry it i'm sure he's all ready <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh the ironic thing about the uh the brew shop it closed at five so i got it oh, i got there no. at like 5 15 i was just like crap are you kidding me oh <laughs> uh, that's <laughs>